You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. I'm definitely dating myself here, but you know, like I, when I was growing up, getting like dreaming about fishing, fly fishing, and getting into fly fishing. This was before like everybody had cell. I mean, this is before cell phones. Period. And uh, I was just like uh, got introduced to it through books, and so like. You know, some of my heroes back then were like Lefty Cray, uh, Mark Sosin, Joe Brooks, you know, some of these old timers that were like the, mm-hmm. you know, the legends, the the forefathers of uh, spe- specifically um, saltwater fly fishing, you know, because that's what I thought was just so, um, so extreme was like uh, fly fishing for for like sharks or you know 200 pound tarpon or billfish yeah you know it's just, that just was like i was it just blew my mind and so i and then, and then the guy that introduced me to fly fishing gordy hines um who's now he's actually an artist too uh, oddly enough he's down in destin beach or destin florida mm-hmm. um um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess I've mentioned uh, Yako Lucas a couple times. I've never uh, personally met him, but, we, you know, talk on the phone a couple times, and I just feel like he's a real, yeah. you know, kind of a hero, just like a real badass who just gets out, gets after it however he can. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, capturing the fly fishing life, featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. DamianAndy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at D-A-M-I-O-N-A-N-D-Y.com. Broken Tippet Fly Company. For blog and fly fishing apparel, check out brokentippet.com. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies, ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euro nymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. Well, welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really happy you're joining us today, and we're going to do what we love to do on this program, and that is seek out passionate people in the fly fishing space, find out um, their story, what brings you to the water, 
all those good things. We've got an extra special show for you this time around. We're going to head out to Lincoln, Vermont. We've got Nick Mayer on the line. Now, Nick has, uh, he's got quite a resume, actually. So he's a, a, a very well-known artist. He was a former marine biologist, full-time artist to this day now, uh, avid fly fisherman, survived falling off a commercial fishing boat in the Bering Sea, that sounds kind of crazy. Um, research sea turtles in Costa Rica, salmon in Alaska, uh, steelhead in Oregon, uh, coral reef education in Florida, billfish artist of the year. Um, and uh, he's been interviewed by Fly Fisherman Magazine, Midcurrent, and Angler's Journal. Nick, thanks for uh, spending some time on the water today with us. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Mark. Yeah. It's, it's our pleasure. Happy to be here. So I want to hit the rewind button because I know you've had a very diverse work history and we'll talk all about your art. Um, But I know your mission um, is kind of just to connect people with the outdoors, connect them with nature. And it's been such a huge part and remains a huge part of your life. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about where you got the passion for for the water and and for fly fishing in, in general? Uh, well, I mean, I, ever since I was a little kid, it seemed like, uh, you know, everything was, I was just always interested in all things aquatic. Um, like I grew up in Rhode Island in uh, in the suburbs and, um, there was this pretty polluted pond near my house called Willet Pond. Um, yeah, this was in Riverside, Rhode Island. And, um, yeah, so, uh, I grew up in the eighties and, um, you know, back then, uh, there was no such thing as like a uh, hover parents and <laughs> just a bunch of kids would go down to this pond every day. And, um, we, you know, catch bullhead and, um, right. scoop, just scoop the mud and like look through it. And, um, I, I, uh, I would catch turtles all the time. I actually, uh, got the nickname turtle man and, um, <laughs> just, just like, I, I was always catching, I, I'd like go into the mud, like up to my neck and catch these huge snapping turtles. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what I got known for. I just loved checking them out and then putting them back in the water. They just look like these like living dinosaurs, you know, these big like stegosaurus looking scales and stuff. And, um, so I think, um, you know, that's where it kind of all started for me was, um, wading around in the mud and just getting, getting interested in exploring. And, mm. um, but yeah, as, as far as fly fishing goes, um, you know, I sort of transitioned from catching frogs and turtles to, to then, uh, you know, conventional fishing. And, um, when I think I was about, oh, maybe like 12, my uncle, um, lived in Bennington, Vermont, uh, pretty close to the Orvis, um, headquarters in Manchester. Mm-hmm. And he took me there and, um, I met this, uh, salesman there, Gordy Hines, and he kind of took me under his wing and, um, in- introduced me to the sport and just gave me a bunch of gear and just was like this really generous kind of guy that was, you know, got me into the sport and, um, like my fishing mentor. So I think that's sort of where it's, I mean, I could go on for hours about it, but you know, that's, that's sort of like a snapshot of where it came from. I love it. I love it. So we're going to 
dive into that snapshot, but first I want to take some time to get to know you in your neighborhood. You ready for a few questions that have a little bit to do with fishing, but a lot to do with just kind of day-to-day? Sure. What, um, like when you're headed, let's say you're headed to your favorite stream or your favorite uh, lake mm-hmm. to do a little fly fishing, what's playing in the truck en route? So what are you, what are you listening to music-wise? Uh, I'm a, kind of a diehard uh, metal guy, honestly. <laughs> I mean, nice. my uh, my repertoire of um, music really spans a gamut. You know, it kind of depends on the time of day. And, you know, there are times where I'll listen to classical, like uh, when I'm trying to kind of calm myself down or, you know, jazz at night sometimes. But pretty much, you know, like, I mean, I'd say right now I've been listening to a lot of Revolution Mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike V. Um, when I'm painting, I, I have this uh, Pearl Jam playlist that uh, really kind of gets me into like a flow state. I just um, kind of almost like need that. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's like Metallica. I even like some like old, like original, like uh, hardcore punk and, mm-hmm. you know, like Black Flag, yep. Bad Brains, stuff like that. But yeah, um, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'm really into Revolution Mother right now. <laughs> right on. Well, that's I mean, yep. as an artist, if you can draw inspiration, I'm sure. I mean, music is for me; it's a huge part of my life. I actually can't do anything to be quite honest, unless I got mm-hmm. music on in the background, like whether it's driving to the yep. lake or working in the office or in the cellar. I just love having tunes going. I think it just kind of, you know, and you you can kind of almost shape the day right with the mood definitely yeah it's like the soundtrack of your life Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so okay so let's say you get to this favorite spot you're going to do a little fly fishing um what's Mm -hmm. one pattern that you cannot live without so if you open that fly box is there a, a specific fly in there that gets tied on a lot Oh, geez. Uh, I mean, I, I, I fish for a lot of different species. I'd say like the, the fish that I probably target the most here and here at home in Vermont and, you know, nearby New York are probably musky. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm kind of grew up, uh, fishing for saltwater species. Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island and, um, you know, once I got older, moved away from that pond, uh, you know, I fished for stripers like for years and years. So uh, when I moved to Vermont, you know, the, the muskie was the biggest fish around and it was sort of like the closest thing to, to fly fishing for, for a saltwater side species. So, um, yeah, I'd say muskie is probably the, my, my uh, number one species around here. And uh, most of my flies are, are uh, just flies I've tied myself. Mm-hmm. But I'd say the number one that I always have in my box is a Pat Cohen um, man bear pig. <laughs> so yeah that's uh I, I don't know I, if you ever saw it so, i know the man, like bear I, pig from south I, park man bear pig i love some of the names of these flies but uh yeah uh, that one i'm not familiar with are we talking kind of like okay. a dalai lama or something like that is that what it's kind of like it's like a tan it's like a it's not a tandem fly but it's it's a um articulated fly with yeah. con- it's I, the rumor that I heard was that I like, I'm friends with Pat. I never, I don't know why I never asked him this, but I, I heard other people say that he was, he kind of modeled it after the, um, 
uh, bulldog, you know, that, uh, that, that big musky, um, mm-hmm. uh, rubber, like swim bait. Yeah. There's like a big wiggle tail. There's a lot. Of, I think there's a lot of stealing goes on from us tires when you start looking at bait fish patterns, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Love so it. it's kind of has the profile of that, of one of those bulldogs, but mm-hmm. it's got, you know, it, it's got good action. It's got like a hook in the center. It's got a wiggle tail. I'm a big fan of wiggle tails, um, for musky. So is there a sp- certain yeah, color say, you're fishing, Nick? Like, is there a specific color you prefer? Uh, well, I mean, everybody likes black and pr- I, I probably fish black and purple for, for every species, you know, from like, <laughs> I'd say that's my number one color combination for tarpon, yeah. um, muskies, you know, I like it for bass, lake trout. Then um, I'd say for muskies also, I like uh, black and red, black and orange, all black. Love it. Yeah. So when you're not out there in the water, where do you get your fix when it comes to fly fishing? Like, is there a fly shop near you that you kind of frequent? Is it social media? Is there a coffee shop? Where do you get your fill when you're not in your waders? I'd say it's probably hanging out with my fishing buddies. You know, having a couple drinks, um, throwing something on the grill. Um, there's a, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, f- I got a lot of fishing buddies out there, but uh, <laughs> a couple guys that I've been uh, doing some trips with lately are Chris Danaher from New Hampshire and uh, Elton Bonneville from Mass. And then Brian Caterette, um here in Vermont, we do a lot of fishing together. Uh, Kevin Ramirez from Vermont here and Tom Carton. We've been doing some steelhead fishing lately, hmm. so yeah, I mean, we've got I got a good network of um, friends around here. The flies and fins crew um, over in Maine, we do uh, shark fishing over there in the summertime. Fly fishing for sharks, which is a wow. total blast. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, it, it's yeah. striking me already in this conversation. I mean, I talked to some multi-species guys and gals but it sounds to me like kind of the world is your oyster when it comes to fly fishing i mean is that is that accurate it sounds like maybe you don't have a i know you say you like the muskie because it reminds you of uh some of the salt you know like stripers whatnot but it seems to me you're all Mm -hmm. over the map i love it yeah i mean um you know i i one of the one of the uh sort of caveats of uh calling yourself a full-time artist is that a lot of people think you're, um, you know, some kind of trust fund person or whatever retired early or something like that. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, uh, I really do work my ass off. And, um, but at the same time I have, uh, I mean, I guess because, you know, I've, I've worked so hard to build this up and I do have the freedom to be my own boss. Like I I've been able to been fortunate enough to, to, go on some amazing trips and um a lot of those have been kind of like diy type of things actually i worked in costa rica um tagging sea turtles down there which was 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 pretty sweet in terms of like just being a job and then also being able to fish all the time wow but yeah i mean i've been really fortunate to to be able to travel around and but I, I feel like I haven't even like scratched the surface of what I'd love to do. You know, there's so <laughs> many, so many places out there and yeah. so many species. Do you have a list? Do you have like a bucket list? Like, man, I gotta, I gotta hit 
you know, this spot uh, for tarpon or taman or or whatever. Name a species. Well, I mean, I ha- I haven't. Re- it's not like uh, this sort of like bucket list. That I have to sort of check these things off. I, I do have a list of all the species that I've caught. Um, hmm. But I, I mean, I'd say one thing that's definitely on there is GT. You know, I mean, nice. You could you could kind of say that um, the grass is always greener, and um, you know, some of these things are these species that are on the opposite side of the globe are like you know, idolized or whatever. But I mean, some of these videos that I've seen, you know, obviously, uh, Yako Lucas is, um, probably credited with, uh, introducing them to the fly fishing world. But, um, so, I mean, his videos and others that you see now, like everywhere online, like just the way that these things attack the fly charge right at you. And it's, I mean, it just, it just seems like the most, the big, well, like the biggest rush you could possibly have with a fly rod in your hand. Yeah. So I'd say that's one that's like definitely a dream fish of mine. Yeah. Have you done a lot of bone yeah. fishing in, in your time in Costa Rica? Uh, I, I've I've caught you know I've I've caught my share of them and I haven't caught a ton of them. I mean, um, I actually did a kind of a DIY trip uh, to Calabria with. Uh, those couple guys I was just mentioning, Chris and Elton, um, this spring. And, uh, we got into them, um, just wading the flats, which was a lot of fun. Um, caught some in, in, uh, Yucatan with my dad, actually, when I was like in high school, did a trip down in Mexico. Um, but yeah, I mean, pound for pound they they gotta be one of the strongest fish I've ever hooked, you know, where you could have like a, a one pound fish break 20 pound test. If you're not pointing them in the right direction and you just got, you know, kind of, it's like a hooking onto a little torpedo there for a second. When they first take the fly, you just got to kind of got to point them and the, point them in a direction and let them go. And then just like burn, burn your backing up. Yeah. That looks like fun. I haven't got there yet, but it's on the list. Um, yeah. You- I mean, you big... There's a lot to be said for sight fishing, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. I just love the visual. And that's why I think dry fly fishing mm-hmm. is so huge, right? You can you see yep. what's going on. It's kind of like the, the worlds mm-hmm. are colliding. Yeah, for sure. Are you a sports guy at all? Like uh, being in uh, Vermont now, I mean, is there a team that you cheer for? Is it baseball, hockey, football, uh, basketball? Well, the funny thing is... Um... Like I'm not, I'm not a big, like, uh, you know, sort of like NFL guy or whatever, but I, my sport has always been wrestling and I feel like that, like has given me so much, like that sport, like pretty much transformed my life, gave me, gave me, like taught me work ethic, like just not the the attitude of not quitting and stuff like that. Um, so I coached, ended up coaching for like 12 years after I just pretty much just wrestled in high school. I didn't wrestle in college, but, um, right. then I coached, I coached for like 12 years. And, um, so I follow wrestling I, and then, uh, so, um, Penn state, yep. Penn state wrestling, I'd say is, you know, the team that I root for, I, I feel like that, that coach Kale Sanderson is just absolutely amazing guy. So. I feel like anybody I've talked to that is is into wrestling, and I've had a few on the show, 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of discipline. Or, like when you said something there, you said, you know, it, it, it taught me as much as anything, basically, is what you, you I kind of got out of what you said. And what is yeah. it What is it about wrestling? Like, is it a discipline kind of thing, or what is it? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's a sport where, <laughs> I mean, this may sound a little harsh, but, I mean, in my opinion – probably maybe I'm just I'm just getting old but it just seems like people are getting softer and as time goes by and um you know wrestling was is a sport where that even today it's it's not it's not a sport for um you know uh, well I guess you can beat this out for pussies you know it's like it's it's a it's a it's a tough guy sport whether you're you're you know a guy or a girl it's 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 a badass sport so yeah. i mean you got to you got to uh, plug away at it for years and years before you start to reap any benefits from it um mm-hmm. you know if you got a broken bone or a concussion you know just put some tape on it and get back out there you know it's yeah it's old school it's, for uh, sure Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's, it just, like I said, it just taught me the work ethic and, um, sort of the being able to, um, have the patience to stay with something long-term and not having, um, you know, a short attention span. And, um, mm-hmm. like it's, there's just that, that whole concept of, uh, you know, not, not having an immediate, uh, gratification and, yeah. yeah, it's just th- right. then the the wins are like even more gratifying, you know. Hmm. Well said. Why do you think you spend so much time on the water? Like uh, it's something that I the whole reason I started this show was to try and articulate what fly fishing does for for me personally, but for anybody mm-hmm. I've had on this show, it's sometimes it's hard to verbalize. And I guess what I'm asking you yeah. is wh- why do you spend so much time doing this? What does it bring into Nick Mayer's life? <laughs> Jeez, man, it's a, that's a good question. It's, it's, it's almost like to a certain extent, I'm so far in, I, there's no way I can ever get out of it. It's like <laughs> yeah, I get that. An addiction that's beyond, uh, beyond turning around. It's, but I mean, I think, uh, I don't know, no matter how many times I'm going out, you know, you could say you're kind of doing the same thing, fishing the same stretch of river or whatever. Like it, it really, it, it's sort of like, um, I, I'm also a hunter and I feel like, uh, the hunting sort of taps into, uh, this like primal part of your brain where, you know, that's, that's just in everybody, you know, it's probably more repressed or hidden in in some people than others but like when you sort of tap into that sort of primal part of your brain where you're you're like in the zone Mm -hmm. you're hunting down this muskie you you know he's there you can't see him you're just waiting you got to be ready because you might only have like one shot to to have a good strike um Mm -hmm. it's like you just forget about everything else i think that's why it's such a good uh you know therapeutic thing for for uh, people that have like PTSD and stuff like that, because you forget about everything else that's going on and you're just like, so in the zone. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'd say that's sort of like, for me, it's just, 
getting out there and just like getting in the zone and do you find when you're doing yeah. your art, you kind of do something similar? Like, are you you kind of zone, just you're so focused on what you're doing that you kind of forget everything else? Is there some similarities for you? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I didn't even really think about that until just now. But, yeah, it's totally true. There's, um, you should look up this thing. It's called the Flow Research Collective. Um, mm-hmm. I think the uh, uh, guy's name is Stephen Kotler, the researcher behind it. But like, he, he did like a lot of research into the this thing called a flow state, you know, which that's basically like a scientific word for getting in the zone. And uh, I know for sure, like that there are these certain like triggers, you know, like that that uh, that Pearl Jam playlist, and you know, just sitting down. And um, but once I sort of like you know, let go of whatever, you know, this shitload of emails I got to get to or whatever, and just kind of get in that zone. Like all of a sudden, like six hours go by, I never ate anything. And, you know, I've just been (laughs) painting for six hours and I'm like, Oh my gosh, where'd the day go? So it's, yeah, it's a sort of similar thing where you're just like forgetting about everything else. You've had such a diverse career. It sounds like you've, you know, done a lot of living, had a lot of different jobs. So the, I, I love talking careers, side hustles, because I, I do think, you know, your past career and kind of your experiences is a big part of who we kind of are today. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you were a marine biologist, now you're a full-time artist. It sounded like you did some commercial fishing, lots of, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the sea turtle project in Costa Rica, salmon in Alaska, steelhead in Oregon. What This is probably an tough one for you but what's the best gig that you've had so far you know i i i there's a part of me that would say you know the one i have now where i'm my own boss because i have i have a lot of freedom and i'm doing what i love and um you know i'm 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 working towards a mission like building my own dream whereas you know, wherever I've had, you know, jobs before, I'm really kind of working towards someone else's dream, whoever, whoever it was that created that company and, you know, had a, had an idea for, you know, where it was going to go. And then I'm just sort of like helping out, helping somebody else out rather than, you know, doing my own thing. But, um, so, you know, I'd say one, one part of me sort of leans towards that where, you know, it's like, you know, there. It, 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 there's a lot of stress uh, associated with, um, you know, being a one man show and, and running a business and, you know, having a, I got a, a kid in college, I got a mortgage and all this stuff, but, mm-hmm. you know, on the other hand, it's, it, it, it's, it's pretty rewarding, but then, you know, I can't, I, I also can't, uh, you know, you bring up Costa Rica. Like I can't deny that I was down there. I was in my twenties living in Costa Rica, got a roof over my head, doing, doing research on sea turtles, which, you know, were such a, such a cool animal. And then I was constantly like patrolling up and down the beach, uh, uh, surf casting for, uh, jacks and, <laughs> and trophy snook the whole time too. So like, well, that sounds pretty good. That was pretty freaking sweet. So I, right. I mean, I'd probably say, you know, uh, the Caribbean Conservation Corporation um, job down there in Flor in um, Costa Rica that was that was definitely up there. Hmm. 
It's just such a, a remote, beautiful area. And I mean, that's where I was introduced to Jack Cravel. And at that time, it's funny bringing up uh, Yako Lucas again. He just came out with this film about uh, Jacks, but like at that time, like Jacks were really undiscovered, or you know, everybody just thought of them as junk fish. And I mean, I was just like head over heels, uh, like wacko over uh, these Jacks. They they would like literally be cruising in the waves. You know, the, the the water was only a few inches deep, but they'd be cruising in like the tubes of the waves because they're, you know, tall and thin yeah. and smashing the sardines that were right in the surf. And so you'd see them, you'd see them like, I don't know, 100 yards to your right and you'd start false casting 180 degrees to your left because they're moving like 100 miles an hour by the time you take like two false casts to your left like wow. they you fly barely hits the water by the time they're there they're just cruising so fast it was just it was just such a blast wow, that sounds that sounds amazing <laughs> yeah I, i've never had to cast in front of something that far huh yeah um flip that on its head what is there anything you've done that you went man i'm i'm not doing that again or you know was there a job that you had not to knock anything you've done, but was there something mm-hmm. you did that you went, no, this isn't for me? Well, I mean, um, I'd say uh, a couple of them were, one job I had was as an environmental consultant, and we would uh, check, we would uh, have to respond to oil spills, and a lot of times we'd be like, you know, when there was an oil spill, like everybody would, you know whether whether you had a degree or not everybody just grab a shovel and and uh get to work and uh you know i spent some time in basements like shoveling soil that was saturated with fuel oil and just like inhaling hmm. like cancer causing fumes you know all day long so that was that was something that I, you know for health reasons <laughs> yeah. i had to i had to find something else you know you just between jobs at different points of your life and you got to do what you got to do but uh you know that and then the commercial fishing in alaska i mean we were fishing 21 hours a day i was working 21 hours a day and you sleep for three and um and that was all like hard physical labor like that that the sleep deprivation would just it would have like like this uh, kind of like an accrued effect over time where like we were just like almost like I would say like kind of like a mentally insane state from from all the sleep deprivation where you're like just not thinking straight and then that you know even sort of is is dangerous when you're when you're out on the ocean like that but um that was, you know, and then killing all those fish, that was rough too. <laughs> being a, being a catch and release fly fisherman. And then, uh, you know, doing the, doing this job for money, killing as many fish as we could. Oh, it was just well, kind of wore me down. That's kind of unusual. Like as a Marine biologist background mm-hmm. doing that, you know, I mean, and I get the commercial fishery thing. It's, it's important as long as it's mm-hmm. sustainable. Right which it doesn't seem to be in a lot of cases, but right now. Um, 
are you comfortable talking about the uh, near-death experience you had on that uh, in that Bering Sea doing that commercial fishing? Because it sounded yeah, to me like quite I a mean, story. Yeah, I mean, that was <laughs> that was pretty rough. I mean, we like I said, we were um, we were we were just working all the time and um, never getting any rest. And and uh, we basically what happened was we we uh, we had a whole entire boatload. We had filled the hatch with with uh, sockeye salmon and um we blew a hydraulic hose as we were um unloading the fish like so we would we would actually um meet up with a, a boat out at sea a tender boat and we'd un- offload um to that boat so that we could just keep fishing around the clock and um rather than going back to port and you know getting drunk or whatever um so we, we yeah we were offloading these fish um, onto the the tender boat and we blew a hydraulic hose and it sprayed hydraulic fluid all over these fish so we had to we killed like you know whatever thousands of fish and then just dumped them all over the side so that was like a kind of a sickening feeling and then we all also the fact that we lost all that money the captain was all pissed we uh, we had this special soap that we scrub the deck with but like it, there was nothing we could do it was just like ice skating across the deck and um sort of like a the way that i kind of think of um you know the the sequence of stuff we did on the boat was almost kind of like a football play you know like you pass this line off to somebody else you throw this thing off to the other boat and then you pull this quick release and this thing comes flying out and you know we were doing one of those sequences and um i just slid all the way across from one side of the boat all the way out to the other backwards flipped over backwards into the water and um i didn't have like a lot of people would have these mustang suits or these full body flotation devices but i just all i had on was a raincoat and it filled up with air and i had it buttoned up all the way up to my my neck and I came up to the surface. I'm like, oh, my God. And I, so I'm like, all right, so I'm right here at, by the boat. I, luckily, I didn't get sucked in. I, I was just, uh, like, right at the stern of the boat. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the, the stern of the boat as it motored away from me because the captain didn't know I fell in. <laughs> oh, so then I was like, oh, shit. You know, and I, what I ended up doing was swimming over to a skiff that was um, – that we had – that held the other end of the, the, uh, purse saying. And, um, wow. yeah, so I got myself into that boat. The, the, the guy in that boat wouldn't help me get in because, um, he, what happens a lot of time is you're in a state of panic because, uh, you know, you think you're going to drown and in, in that water, you know, you only have, um, I can't remember what it was, you know, like 60 seconds or a few minutes or something until you know the hypothermia sets in so mm-hmm. um uh people a lot of times what happens is one person is trying to save the other person and then they both end up drowning right so the guy wouldn't help me get into the boat he just kind of coached me he's like get your leg up and I'm like, pull me the fuck in oh, but uh yeah made it back in made, made it out of the water and lived to tell about it i guess that must have been a horrible feeling when when you realize that nobody knew you were in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was sort of like, uh, huh. 
I didn't really have time to think about it. I'm like, all right, so what's plan B now? Um, I'm not going to be able to like yell to the captain and tell him no. that I'm in the water. What am I going to do? So I started looking around, saw this, saw this uh, yellow uh, rope line floating in the water, grabbed onto that and, you know, uh, ended up getting myself into that other boat. Was that your last uh, trip fishing out there commercially or did you keep going? It wasn't, you know, I just, oh. I got back in and just got right back to work. Really? Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fished, fished the rest of the season out. Hmm. We got you know? Nick Mayer on the line tonight. Nick is out of Lincoln, Vermont. He is a full-time artist. We're going to take a deep dive into that. Former marine biologist, avid fly fisher. Um, and I was looking at your, you know, your site, uh, checking out some of your artwork and, and kind of what you're up to at uh, Nick Mayer Art on Instagram. Check him out. Um, how, how did you come to decide you were going to make a go of the art, Nick? Like, was there a turning point or a tipping point kind of when you said, uh, I can do this, I can do this full time. I'm just going to commit and, and, and just kind of do a deep dive. What did that look like? Yeah, I mean that's exactly what happened, you know. I I I um I had started the business on the side. I mean, I've been drawing ever since I was a little kid, you know. I was sort of what I was known for, I guess, you know. I just would doodle and um you know, kids would have me uh draw them a picture of ET or whatever when I was a little kid or stuff like that, but um I started the business um on the side and then, you know, never really i mean i i i had always loved art but i never thought i could ever make a living from it so that's why i decided to study you know pursue science because it just seemed like a a more um a safer bet but um yeah so i kind of built the business up on the side and then eventually i mean i just had this geyser creativity and just had to take the plunge and give it a try and um it, it worked out, you know, I, um, as soon as I, I think I want to say I gave my notice at my job and then it was maybe like a day later or something. I got a phone call and someone wanted me to illustrate a book. Hmm. Um, yeah, you, you've done a lot of that. So, I noticed. So, um, did you do work on Martha Stewart's book, American Made? Actually, that was the American Made um, contest that um, that she did. Um, but yeah, I was uh, that was a while ago. I think I was a finalist in that. Um, hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, so I've illustrated the first book that I was just talking about um, was uh, connected to um, through Fred Polemus from um, uh, Sportsman's Palette, and then uh, the, the author of that book, which was um, that was Catalina Island Dive Buddies was uh, Mike Rivkin, who was, uh, I believe he was uh, president of the IGFA. He was like an IGFA uh, historian, International Game Fish Association. And then um, the the uh, co-author was um, John Council, who was a diver on Catalina Island, who I ended up becoming uh, pretty good friends with um, out there. So, uh, all right. So yeah, so it was Catalina dive buddies was the first book, okay. which is like a, kind of like a coffee table field guide to the fish of Catalina Island. And then, um, 
then was a remember the the uh adult coloring book craze that came along for a little while there i i did uh a book called um wild oceans with um fox chapel press which was a pretty cool project because they they um they kind of gave me um some freedom to to help craft some pages like there it's not just a coloring book it's like some uh how to um sort of tutorials and stuff mm-hmm. and then there was a uh, angler's journal which is like a guided fishing journal also through um um fox chapel and then the book that just came out um october 1st is uh fish abcs which is uh in it obviously like an abcs book for kids that's one fish for every letter of the alphabet mm-hmm. so um and that was one that I actually uh, published myself. I I decided that uh, I really wanted to do this book uh, the way I wanted it to do it, and um, you know, not have someone else be kind of running the show and me just making the doing the illustrations. So, hmm. so uh, yeah, in this day and age, like it's crazy how easy um, it is to to do that. Um, I worked with Dennis Pastucha who's the art director of fly fisherman magazine. And he's just, I've, I've worked with him on some other projects and we just work together really well. He just really gets my, gets my kind of design sensibility. And and so he laid everything out and yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. So that's great. So is it, I mean, do you do other things other than watercolor? Is it, is it strictly watercolors? Your is, is your, you know, is that what you're putting on the canvas? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because um, it's it's a pretty unforgiving um, medium. It's yeah. especially like the way I paint with this this white background around the fish most of the time. Like I do these underwater scenes too, but um, a lot of my you know my style is sort of like the um, scientific illustration you know type of style. And mm-hmm. you spill paint on that white paper, then you're screwed. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just uh, watercolors. I've always wanted to, um, you know, kind of experiment with oil paints or something else. But, um, I mean, I guess the one thing that I have been doing recently, which which is a whole collection of paintings that I haven't um, released to the public yet, is, is a whole series of paintings on black paper. So I've been, you know, painting on white paper my whole life. And then I just uh, decided to do this series of paintings on black paper. So I guess that's something that's um, a little out of the ordinary for me, but uh, and that's like a whole series of paintings of uh, these deep sea creatures. That oh. uh, you're talking like live like at the bottom deep, of the ocean. Yeah, like we're talking deep, deep sea, like the the glow in the dark kind of fr- yeah. freaky fish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I call. Yeah, them. yeah, like and a lot of I mean, a lot of the things that I've been painting, just you know, been choosing the paint of of those uh, types of things are are the the baby the baby fish and like the the baby octopi and right like these there's like these larval forms of these these things that are like almost transparent um mm-hmm. there there's this type of diving called blackwater diving where like on a on a particular you know night when there's you know like a a new moon um, and you know, there's just no light, ambient light in the sky. 
you can go out off the continental shelf in areas like uh, Cancun and, and these these creatures come up from the you know depths of the ocean to the surface to feed so you can see them in shallow water. Hmm. I mean, you know, you're in like maybe like 700 feet of water or whatever, but you're at the surface and, uh, you know, and you can photograph them. And That's um, wild. I, I haven't done that myself, but it's something that I love to do. Does it ever make you... But like that's you, sort of the inspiration behind all that. We, we think we know all the animals and planets on this planet, or you, you start looking into outer space, but the reality is we don't know half of what's at the bottom of the ocean, you know? Oh, my God, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is a, a frontier, an unexplored frontier, for sure. Did, did you find that your, you know, your, your history as a marine biologist when you're doing your artwork is do you draw like is do you pull a lot from kind of one to the other yeah you know that's that's a good question because um you know on the one hand you might think well hey you know he studied science and and um you know worked as a marine biologist and then just kind of threw in the towel went a completely different direction as an artist but but i don't really see it that way you know it's Mm -hmm. um I feel like the all the all the science work that I did kind of <clears throat> informs what I do as an artist. You know, it's it all it all is one trajectory. So yeah, I mean for sure, it's like it, even just like the the patience to sit there and just stare at a fish or a picture of a fish for hours and and you know just to try and figure it out. It, it seems like that. That's something that I do, like, for example, like the painting I'm working on right now, <clears throat> excuse me, is a, um, it's a peacock bass from the Amazon that uh, a client um, went to the Amazon, caught this fish and, you know, hired me to make a portrait of it, which actually is something that I, that I do regularly, um, but make, you know, make a portrait of that particular fish. It's like in the paca, they, they call it the paca phase. Uh, they they have two different colorations. Okay. But like this thing is just like I mean it's every color of the rainbow and it's got like all these yellow polka dots all, all over it. And yeah. It's so easy to get overwhelmed um, at first, you know, like looking at something like this that's just so complicated. It just takes. I just have to sit there and just stare at it and stare at it and stare at it and then eventually. You know, I figure out, oh, okay, now it's starting to make sense to me, and this is how I'm going to approach it. Hmm. And I think that comes from, you know, the sciences, you know, the observing closely and, yeah. um, you know, having the patience to 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 sit there and analyze it for a while rather than jumping right in. Are you a big, so, uh, like, are you big into entomology, being that you spend a lot of time fly fishing too? Is, is that a big part of what you're doing? You know, I, I'm not because, uh, I hate to say it, but I'm not like a huge trout guy. It's, it's <laughs> kind of ridiculous because I got trout outside my doorstep, you know, here in Vermont, you know, I was talking about where I grew up in Rhode Island where, where everything was polluted here in Vermont. I got pristine, you know, beautiful brook trout streams all around. And I mean, I do, I do uh, go out and catch them, but I'm not, it's not mm-hmm. sort of like a deep passion of mine. So I mean, you know, I, I can tell I I, um, I I don't really get to the species level, I guess. 
You're you're with a bait the, fish guy. You probably that. you probably find that more fascinating, yeah. right? What they're eating in other <laughs> fish. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean uh yeah, with the muskies it's yeah, the like softer softer raid uh fish that they seem to prefer and that's what you try to try to imitate like the suckers and mm-hmm. yeah. stuff. T- tell me a little bit about your time you spent in Oregon. Uh, working with steelhead uh, what what was that mm-hmm. project all about um well i actually so i worked on a couple of interesting projects out there when i first went out there this was my first actually my first uh job right straight out of college was i was working um for oregon state university uh and this was a radio tracking project working with um out migrating um out migrating uh chinook salmon in the in the uh columbia river so we we would actually we had a uh, an agreement with the, the bonneville dam and they um they have like these fish screens that catch the the uh out migrating smolt and kind of filt um funnel them or uh past the turbine so they don't get all chopped up you know to a certain degree, they don't work that they, at that time. They didn't work all that great, but we were the, what we were. Um, the like bigger picture of what we were doing was we were trying to figure figure out the optimal um, location for a juvenile bypass system that they wanted to put in so, okay. to to really get the fish past the dam so that they could you know be successful at out migrating out to the ocean. So we were. Uh, we were radio tracking these smolt. So we were like traveling around in boats, tracking these little, um, you know, whatever, five inch smolt. Uh, and, um, that was pretty cool. And then, um, I got a job with, so that was a seasonal, a lot of these, uh, marine biology positions at the entry level, you know, like when you're just, uh, fresh out of college, they're just seasonal jobs and you, and, and, you know, you're probably, if you're, fresh out of college you don't have a lot of responsibilities so you can bump around and go and do these different jobs so you know it all works out but um so that was a seasonal job and then i got um you know more of a long-term job with um oregon fish and wildlife and that was um a really cool job doing steelhead habitat restoration let's see it was the easternmost um strain of wild steelhead that had not been um um you know like contaminated with yeah. with hatchery genes yeah so it was this uh this tiny little stream that um had steelhead in it that you know was pretty much closed to fishing and it just had this very unique strain of steelhead and, and so we were doing everything we could to keep it that way keep you know, preserve this, this, um, you know, unique species or subspecies of, uh, I guess it wasn't even really a subspecies. It was just like a strain of steelhead that was, hadn't been screwed up by hatchery genes. Yeah. And, um, so we would do, you know, we, rather than like kind of directly like handling fish and stuff like that, we were just doing things to make it the best, uh, you know, habitat for them that it, that we could by preserving the riparian zone. A lot, there were a lot of um, farms there that would ha- had like uh, grandfathered rights to pull water out of the river to irrigate their fields, and we would put these 
we developed these um, rotating fish screens to put on the intakes of the irrigation pumps so that um, we, uh, you know, the fish wouldn't get sucked up into the pump and uh, put fish ladders in and, um, you know, logs in the river. Yeah. So it was, that was a, that was a really cool job because it was, it, you know, seemed like we were actually doing something positive that um, mm-hmm. had like a measurable effect. Well, there's a lot of salmon get through those dams now, and I'm sure that uh, mm-hmm. that work you did all those years ago has probably only been, you know, refined and refined over the years, and uh, they seem to be doing pretty well in that system from what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's a miracle. I mean, <laughs> it's... Um, but yeah, good. Th- those fish just sir, ha- certainly have like a will to live. They just can put up with so much. Yeah. Well, in those strains, anytime there's a strain of rainbow trout in my neck of the woods, same thing. It's a lake that mm-hmm. has never ever been stocked. So you're dealing with nice, you know, true wild genetics, and 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 in fact, mm-hmm. that's where they pull a lot of the eggs from. From for. Uh, for area lakes so they kind of draw from that but um yeah it's special when you have something like oh that. cool yeah uh-huh so they're spreading that that dna that wild dna in yeah. other places too yeah well usually they're triploid a lot of times so they're you know they're they're not reproducing but um oh okay yeah i think for the most part where i'm at i'm i'm in a lot of still water uh areas mm-hmm. so they're kind of a lot of these lakes basically there's no no river or stream coming in and out so they stock them and basically those fish mm. never really leave the lake and in fact most of them would not mm-hmm. even, they wouldn't even have fish if they weren't stocked but um you know there's a few that um just you know since the since the glaciers kind of they've been evolving and and uh they're pretty special fish but um yeah, and it's it's cool. a bit of a jewel. They're called a, a panasque is the strain up here, and uh, oh, yeah, nice. They do look like a steelhead. Not a lot of spots. Uh huh. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Oh, I gotta check them out. Maybe I'll, after this, I'll ask you for a yeah. uh, picture. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're quite unique looking. But um, hmm. yeah, so so if somebody wants to check out your your artwork, your your website, what's the best place to go? I mean, I know you're all over Instagram as well. Throw out some of your social media kind of handles. Yeah, yeah, it's Nick Mayer Art for everything. So it's N I C K M A Y E R A R T, and that's um, you know at so it's NickMayerArt.com, and then Instagram's at Nick Mayer Art and you know, Facebook and YouTube. So yeah, it's, but, uh, yeah, the website's probably the best place to check things out. You know, like my actual artwork. Yeah. Um, I got all kinds of stuff there. You know, it's not just, uh, the paintings and prints. I, I, um, I kind of like the idea of, of like the concept of art being introduced into everyday life. Mm. You know, I call it functional art, you know, like on phone cases or, yeah. like a tote bag or whatever, you know, just have it kind of introducing, um, you know, beautiful images to, to everyday things rather than it just being, you know, a bag or whatever. Yeah. Phone case. Well, I saw you had a nice, so, good looking, uh, brook trout there on an iPhone case, uh, with your art that looked pretty, pretty, pretty oh, spectacular. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's a popular one. That's that was a painting that I made from uh, a a, pic, a a fish that I caught in this remote uh, beaver pond right here uh, in Lincoln, Vermont, near my house, where I, I hiked into this um, this pond that uh, almost kind of reminds me, in some ways, of the the pond you were just talking about, because there's not. Um, you know, there's, there's very little spawning habitat. So it's just like, it, because there's not a lot of spawning habitat, there's just a few big fish in there. Um, if you can find them. And, um, but so, yeah, that was, so I guess I do some, do more, maybe a little more trout fishing than I give myself credit for. <laughs> well, you're, you're painting them. You're painting them. You must be looking at them sometimes. Yeah, uh, they got to be like one of the most beautiful fish on the oh, planet, aren't they? Those colors are just incredible. Yeah, the old blue halos. Yeah, char mm -hmm. char to me. I don't I don't have a lot of brook trout where I'm at, and uh, they look pretty too. Uh -huh. But uh, there's something special about those char for mm -hmm. sure. And what about some of those Ar you, Arctic? Do they char? have Arctic char? Yeah. Uh, well, up north, but not. No, I'm I'm. I'm down south. I'm pretty close to Washington State, so uh, oh, okay. not in my neck of the woods. But you'd have to go pretty uh -huh. far north for that. But man, do those fish get pretty! Yeah, yeah. you know that's one I haven't painted yet. That's one I really gotta. That's been on my list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have sure... to get by like a tube of fluorescent orange for that. <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, expand the color palette on that one. I'm sure. Uh huh. Um, is, is there anything? Nick, that in your time, you know, I mean, I know you've had a lot of crazy things happen to you, but is there anything that comes to mind fly fishing wise or in your time on the water that you went, wow, that, that was weird? Hmm. So like, wow, like, that was weird. Or, or like any um, wildlife encounters that you're, you know, um, it's amazing the stories. That, I mean, we've all got fishing stories. Obviously, you told yeah. a pretty, pretty good one there about the uh, the commercial fishing uh -huh. incident there. But you know, is there anything weird that's happened in your time on the water that? Uh, I'd probably say fine? one thing that's up there. Yeah. Okay. Now I got one. Uh, one thing that's probably up there is. So I was I I did this uh, really insane um, trip with with my buddy uh, Chris Danaher where we. We were just two knuckleheads and went down to um, uh, Costa Rica and then over the border into Nicaragua during COVID because nobody else was there and it was super cheap. <laughs> and um, we, <laughs> the first day we were out fishing, Chris, we were, we were uh, throwing these looper uh, game changer flies. Like these guys never seen anything like this. These, these big, uh, you know, black and purple uh, game changers and stuff. And, and Chris hooks this tarpon right off the bat. It was probably, yeah, it was maybe a little less than a hundred pounds. And this thing jumped right into the boat and um, just thrashed around so hard. Like, you know, if, if anybody was near it, would have you probably could have broken uh, a bone. Oh, um, but that was, I mean, this, you know, whatever, like a, six foot fish just jumped right into the boat and started smashing everything. Oh man. So that was pretty nuts. We, we had, we had to wait for him to calm down before we could put him back in the water and revive him. But you know, it was just too dangerous to try and uh, wrestle with him right there. Oh yeah. What, what are you, what are you fishing out of? This was just a little ponga. Oh yeah. 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 
yeah, maybe like a maybe like an eighteen foot um, center console. Right. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Seems to me you homemade. Uh... They just have homemade boats down there. Oh yeah, yeah no, I yeah yeah I know I know the ones you're talking about. It's like I look at them uh-huh. and like I wouldn't take that out in the ocean, but um you're making a, yeah. you're making a living fishing in it, you know or whatever. It's like yeah, yep. yeah. first world problem, right? It's like uh, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably probably cheaper to buy like the buckets of fiberglass and the fabric than it is to yeah. and do it all yourself. You know, rather than uh, importing a a haul. I bet you probably met some pretty inspirational people over your travels when it comes to... Because I, I know your passion is just being outdoors, but is, is have you met... Um, mm-hmm. Name some of the influences that have maybe kind of impacted your life when it comes to either, you know, uh, marine biology or fishing or just, just people that have kind of impacted you. Anybody, mm-hmm. anybody come to mind? Um, well, I mean, some of them, I'm definitely dating myself here, but you know, like I, when I was growing up getting like dreaming about fishing, fly fishing and getting into fly fishing, this was before like everybody had self. I mean, this is before cell phones period. And, uh, I was just like, uh, got introduced to it through books. And so like, you know, some of my heroes back then were like Lefty Cray, uh, Mark Sosin, Joe Brooks you know some of these old timers that were like the mm-hmm. you know the legends the the forefathers of uh specifically um saltwater fly fishing you know cuz that's what i thought was just so um so extreme was like uh fly fishing for for like sharks or you know 200 pound tarpon or billfish yeah you know, it just, that just was like, I was, it just blew my mind. And so I, and then, and then the guy that introduced me to fly fishing, Gordy Hines, um, who's now, he's actually an artist too. Uh, oddly enough, he's down in Destin beach or Destin, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess I've mentioned uh, Yako Lucas a couple of times. I've never uh, personally met him, but we, you know, talk on the phone a couple of times and I just feel like he's a real, yeah. you know, kind of a hero, just like a real badass who just gets out, gets after it however he can. Love it. Love it. What about when it comes to your world of art? Is there any artists that really kind of talk to you in, in their work? Um, you know, Winslow Homer was always, uh, big hero of mine um yeah i just uh i i just always appreciated his sort of uh i guess his like perspective on nature and you know portraying nature as this uh sort of vast like um you know last frontier type of thing you know i guess i can't even remember off the top of my head what what uh time period he was in but i want to say it was like late 1800s when when nature was a much different thing than it is now in mm-hmm. terms of humans mastering it or taking it over but uh yeah i mean and, and he also traveled around and uh painted you know in the caribbean and 
Proud Snack, Maine, and mm-hmm. the Keys. So, you know, I just, uh, uh, yeah, so I'd say Winslow Homer's probably up, definitely up there. I love it. Okay, so this, I'm going to put a canvas in front of you right now. So I want you to paint a picture <laughs> of your perfect day. Like, what does that look like? Like, are you on a tropical beach somewhere chasing those jacks? Are you in a lake? Are you in a river, stream? Walk us through your dream day. What does it look like? Who are you hanging out with? Is there something cold to drink at the end of the day? Maybe a little fire? Uh, Walk us through that. All right. So this is like a total fantasy or like something that is like feasible. (laughs) It's whatever you want. Yeah. Um, Sheesh. I would say, uh, you know, um, somehow I was able to get all my fishing buddies down to Seychelles and um, we're out wading the flats uh, for GTs. And, you know, cause I, I guess one, another thing that I would have to throw in there when you're saying like about like things I've learned from the water is uh, being, mm-hmm. being on the water and stuff is um, I really enjoy, like maybe it's also something that, you know, after spending years and years just being all about the fish and just, you know, all that mattered was getting the big fish and like actually having like an insane experience and have, you know, experiencing that with like a good friend, you yeah. know, that's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's that, a game changer to me like that. Yeah. That's sort of like an, another level of it. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So like being in the Seychelles, with uh, all my fishing buddies and, um, you know, probably have to have my wife there too. And, um, you know, just having a successful day, getting some monster GTs and having them eat right in front of us. Like you, 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 you dream about, and then going back, having some, some fresh sushi and, um, Probably with that, you'd probably have to have some some nice local tequila or something. <laughs> uh, you paint a good picture. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. I almost, I, we're just kind of going into the cold season here, so you painted a good one. I like it a lot. Nice. Yeah, we just got our first snow today. Oh man, the uh, ground's already covered. So yeah, are you a uh, kind of? winter tying guy slash working at your art like is that is that when you do most of your time yeah yeah i'd say so you know i um q4 the in terms of my business is just like absolutely um mayhem so i like i can't do anything but work from from like october to you know mid-december or whatever but Mm -hmm. then once january kicks around yeah, things. That's when I ha- actually have time to, you know, catch up and tie some flies and, um, you know, do some writing, do some painting. When I can actually, you know, paint something that I want to paint rather than just doing, you know, making sure I, I get the projects done that people are paying me to do, you know, and I actually have, can, can paint what I'm inspired to do and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, I look forward to first week of January when when I can decompress a little bit and mm-hmm. 
Maybe find some of that. T- twist tequila. up some more uh, musky flies and <laughs> and uh, wiggle tails and good yeah, stuff. pour myself some whistle pig whiskey with it. Sounds good, Nick. I, I want to mm-hmm. thank you, man, for spending some time with us today on the water, telling us what you've been up to, telling us about your art, uh, in, inspirational stuff, and uh, thank you, my friend. I, I appreciate you spending some time today. Oh, thank you, Mark. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah. We've been chatting today with Please Nick. Keep in touch. Absolutely, man. We will for sure. We've been chatting with Nick Mayer out of Lincoln, Vermont. Check out his artwork if you happen to be on Instagram at Nick Mayer Art. Uh, marine biologist, full-time artist, avid fly fisher, and uh, spending a lot of good old time on the old H2O. Thanks for joining us this time around, folks. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait for it films featuring fly fishing videos and camera-related content, custom music from Damian Anderson, and by brokentippet.com.